Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Many of you know we've been working through this wonderful book of Don Miguel Ruiz's, The Voice of Knowledge, and we're finishing it up this week, but I want to give you the, I don't know, the five-second sort of what got us to this point. So the thesis of the book is that the truth will set us free. But of course, how you define the idea of truth becomes kind of important then, doesn't it? So the freedom that he's talking about, the truth that he's talking about, is the idea that there is an internal truth, a spiritual truth of love, of light, of joy, of peace, of all of those kinds of God qualities that live within us always. That's our spiritual truth, if you will. He goes on to say, pretty much everything else we make up. Now I know that's kind of a stunning revelation and that is the perhaps the truth that will set us free. Other than those spiritual qualities, other than those permanent connections that we have to God around things like love and peace, like joy, other than that, our humanness, we're making it up as we go along. Now, that has, of course, a good news and a bad news kind of story, doesn't it? The bad news is, is a lot of what we were told in life, a lot of the things that we believe, the, the stories that people tell us about how you should live, how you should raise children, how you should uh, act out your life, what it is to be a good neighbor, what it is to be a good husband, what it is to be a good wife, how you behave in a certain social circumstances, how you behave during the holidays, all of that, all of that, I would like to suggest to you is up for grabs because it may not fit in with who and what you are authentically. Now sometimes it does. I'm not saying that society in general is just BS. I mean, a lot of the things, <laughs> a lot of the things that we take for granted are useful. But a lot of the things that we take for granted were devised a long time ago for people and circumstances that simply no longer exist. Okay, now you're caught up. Where I want to go with that today, if it is a given that we're writing a story of our own lives ourselves, if that's the given, if indeed chapter by chapter, page by page, as each day lays itself out, our covenant with God is that we will enforce in our own mind, in our own heart, in our own belief system, that which we want to rewrite or, or write the next few pages with, right? So if today you want love, I'm gonna have thoughts of love and joy. If, if the next chapter we want to be about success in the, in the business world, then, then my mind is gonna be about success in the business world. So, so my covenant, all of our covenants really, whether we recognize it or not, with God, is that the next chapter of my life, I'm already preparing it right here in my head. And so the question becomes, Am I going to do it just kind of afloat in the sea of other people's ideas? Am I going to do it by default, by inertia, by what other people suggest? Maybe a man of my age, a, a, a person of my staff. Do you know what I mean? Right? We can go with the flow or we can stand up and say, 
Who am I exactly? We can go back to those spiritual beliefs and say, what do I want the next chapter on purpose to look like? So I want to start today with a quote from this wonderful book because Don Miguel Ruiz has an idea of how we might write the next chapter. He says, what is the best way to write your life story? Well, really, there is one way, and that way is with love. Love is the material that I use to write my story because love comes directly from my integrity, from what I really am. I love the main character of my story and the main character loves and enjoys all the secondary characters. And I'm not afraid to just tell you, I love you. Now you may say, how can you love me when you barely know me? You know what? I don't need to know you. I don't need anything to justify my love. I love you because it is my good pleasure to do so. Love coming out of me makes me happy. It's not important if you reject that or not because I don't reject myself. In my story, I live in an ongoing romance and everything is beautiful. To live in love is to be alive. Didn't spot the romance coming, did ya? <laughs> now I wanna make a, a qualification there because I do think it is our job and we will be supremely happy if the story of our lives is a love story. But the question is, what is this love? Because what I know it isn't, it isn't one of those kind of pulp romance novel loves, right? We're not trying to find the vampire that will bite us and will live for 10,000 years in bliss. Do you know what I mean? We have lots of ideas floating around as contemporary as you can imagine around what love is and how it shows up. And in fact, Don Miguel Ruiz, he warns us about it. Let me read you this next little bit because it's kind of chilling in a way. He says, how can you believe someone who says I love you and then treats you with disrespect? How can someone say I love you when that person basically wants to control your life, to tell you what you have to do, what you have to believe? How can someone claim to love you and then give you emotional garbage, jealousy, even envy? How can, and how can we tell someone, I love you, and then send out all our opinions against the person we love? Try to make that person suffer, to conform. I tell you what is wrong with you because I love you. I have to judge you and find you guilty and punish you because I love you. I have to make you wrong most of the time, make you feel like you're good for nothing because I love you. It's my job. <laughs> and because you love me, you have to put up with my anger, my jealousy, with all my stupidity. Now, do you think this is love? This is not love. And yet, subtly and often not so subtly, aren't these the messages of love that we see on television and in the street? Sometimes the messages in our own family from parents and grandparents of the, the, the war that is love, the conflict that is love, the, the arguments and the trouble that somehow in our heads, in a way, perhaps as children, represented what this thing called love was. Well, if we want to write our book, the story of our lives in love, we better get a better idea then of what love was. 
And there are a couple tools in the last few chapters of Ruiz's book, there are a couple of lovely tools that we can work on. First of all is the language of love. And here I even want to refer to another expert, Gary Chapman, who wrote a book on five different ways to approach and to notice this idea of love. He says, because there isn't just one language of love, really most of us will approach it in a mixture of five different ways that we experience and communicate love. Now, the first one's the one that makes the the most sense on the surface, right? It's, It's literally saying, I love you, or writing it down. It's the words themselves of love. But equally, have you ever noticed that some people may not respond so much to your words of friendship and love, but boy, if you devote some of your time to them, Another way of saying I love you is simply to say, I'm going to really listen to you. I'm taking this afternoon, and we're not just going to go to the movies and do something mindless, right? We're going to sit down and have an honest-to-goodness talk, and more than that, I'm going to listen because I care. Do you know how rare that is? That's exceedingly rare. One of the, they did a poll of, uh, of teenagers, and surprisingly, when you ask teenagers what they want, well, there's the occasional Xbox. I have to say, the number one thing that teenagers want in this survey was an Xbox. But do you want to know what the number two thing was? Well, you know, they're teenagers. But do you want to know what the number two thing was? To spend one-on-one time with their mother or father. Do you know how rare that is? It's exceedingly rare. A third way that we can talk about love is through gifts. Now this one was in uh, quite fashion maybe 50 years ago, right? You'd go over to someone's house, there'd always be a gift. Not so much now. And yet, many people respond to the idea of giving and getting small little tokens of our affection. It's a way of saying, I love you. Another one is service language, the language of giving service. And I want to tell you a story. Uh, When I was uh, uh, working so much in Denver but living here, this was about 10 years ago, I went through a really troublesome time in my life. I was breaking up from uh, someone that I was living with. I was gone a lot of the time. And I had two-thirds of an acre that I was living on. And oh my gosh, the weeds were up to here. Some weekends when I would come home from work, I had maybe enough time to mow and do a few things. And and I was describing this to some of my friends, uh, uh, how I really felt overwhelmed, like I need to sell the house or do do something because I just couldn't keep up. And on a Saturday, a friend of mine came over and rang the doorbell. And initially I was startled. It's like I opened the door and I went, oh my God, I can't let her in my house. Have you ever had your house in such a situation that you couldn't let anyone in? Well, that was me. But I looked down, and she had a little thing with cleaning supplies in it. And she said, I'm here to help you clean your house. I think I cried on the spot. Totally... You know, I had never suggested that and never even thought that that would be a possibility. I was in my head of, well, I'm sure we've all been there where we've been so frustrated that we can't even see there are possibilities in life. She saw the possibility and was willing to give me the gift of service. And a clearer message of, I care for you, I'm your friend, could not have been made. 
The last way we can say to each other uh, that I love you is with touch. And, and again, this is one that used to be, uh, you know, 50 years ago, more in favor. Uh, with modern time, it's kind of like hands off, right? Even in daycare, even, you know, in school and things like that. And yet, as human beings, we crave touch. It's one of the reasons I think that New Thought churches are called the hugging churches. Have you heard, have you heard that before? Have you, have, you, have you managed to come in without at least the offer of a hug? It's because we crave that. Okay, so these are the languages of love, but people respond to them differently. And if we want to write our book in love, if the ongoing chapters of our lives are going to have that theme of love, I want to suggest we better find out how some of the secondary characters like to receive love. What does it for them? Because what I know is some people want to be told directly. Other people would like that gift. Some people would like a gift of time. And if we don't know, right, we're kind of going like this. I'm saying I love you, and they're, what they're hearing is, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I remember when Reverend Sharon and I were first getting to know each other, I was doing the kind of old, I would come out to her house, and I was doing kind of the old school, you bring a hostess gift kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd buy the, not the best bottle of wine, but, uh, you know, and, uh, I'm just saying, Sharon, I'm just saying, you know, because I didn't really know what her tastes were, but I knew that a good person would bring a hostess present. And my guess would be those wine probably went to people that you didn't care so much about. <laughs> you know, the regifting thing. Have any of you ever done the regifting thing? Well, it's because I didn't really understand how to say I love, how, that I care about Sharon. Well, of course, I know her so much better now. What I know is Sharon wants to be looked at in the eyes, and she wants to hear it. And if you look Sharon in the eyes and say, I love you, you're a best friend of mine. Look, look at this. <laughs> I'm sorry I put you on the spot, dear. But this is important because the people who matter to you, they matter to you. And if you're sending them little love notes and they're thinking, oh yeah, my mom used to do that in my lunch sack when I was five and it wasn't that interesting then and it isn't that interesting now. Well, you're missing, you're missing the boat because you're wanting to give, but you're just going about it a little crazy. So how do we find out could we ask? Could we observe? I think most of us, if we take the time to really observe the people we care about, will recognize how they like to be treated, how they feel special. Is it through buying them a, a sweet little gift? That a, a ma if you think about it, all of these ways are legitimate. I mean, the idea of a gift in its essence is amazing because if you do it right, it really means you have spent some time putting your mind 
into their mind, to really thinking, what does she like to wear? How does she like to dress? What colors have I noticed around her house? When her face lights up, what's going on? Would it be a gift of a spa day? To some people, it would be like, oh, yikes, right? I'm not a spa guy guy. It's just, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's like I've been to a spa like twice, and it was like, yikes. <laughs> it's just, you know. And just that's just not me. To someone else, a day at the spa is like the dream come true. But you got it. And Sharon's nodding over that one. See, see, I'm filing that away. <laughs> if we want to write our book, if we want to write the next chapter in love, we need to know how to love the people we care about. Okay, one more tool that I want to learn today, and that Don Miguel Ruiz says that it's about wearing the lenses of love. It's about being able to look out uh, on what's going on, whether it's wonderful or, or, or whether it's crazy, but doing it from a view of love, from a set of eyes of love. And, and, and let me give you uh, just a little background here. I think most people... When they're having their lives, they notice the highlights and the lowlights. And let me describe that for a minute. The highlights are the things that kind of have you blissed out, right? The really sweet day where everything goes right. The, the, the touching moment with a grandchild. The, the, just the, the, the goodness and the sweetness of life that is irresistible and effervescent and wonderful. And oh my gosh, will I remember that. And then we also remember what I will call, for want of a better term, the lowlights, the miserable day, the, the, you know, the four hours I spent at the DMV just to be told I hadn't filled the right form out to begin with, right? The really, the bottom of the pit kind of days. The trouble with this is there's 80% in the middle that's pretty darn good, and if we're waiting, if we're only noticing, if we're only living in the highlight and in the low light, we've missed, missed 80% of our life. Now, some of us I know are speed readers, and some of us are spoilers. Are any of you spoilers out there? I have to admit, there are certain kinds of science fiction books that I'll read the first couple chapters and I'll go, well, this is interesting, but the plot's kind of slow. And so I'll either like skip to the next chapter and, and see how it's going, or I'll actually, and I hate to even admit this, but did you know if you read the first sentence of each paragraph, things go, I know, I hate admitting it, but you can actually get through a book really quick and not miss anything. <laughs> Okay, but do you want to do that to your life? See, I think we might do that with a cheap novel, but do we want to do that with our life? Don Miguel Ruiz says that if we want to also pay attention to the 80%, then we have to be able to see that there is love present in every moment, not just in the highlight and not just a reaction to the rotten things that happen, but in the mundane day-to-day -day of moving through our lives in every moment, we can find love that it may be hiding sometimes. I, I can remember again when I was in that period of time when I was working so much in Denver, and I really did have kind of a crummy boss. Um, I, I think in any 
scale of crumminess. Uh, he really would have rated pretty highly, I think. He used to chew people out in public and do inappropriate things to the women in the office. And I mean, really just kind of a creepy guy. And uh, we had one of those phone systems where if it was an in-house call, based on what button lit up, you could kind of tell who it was. And boy, when his button lit up, people would just look at the phone. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, does he know I'm here? Do I really have to answer it or can I go to voicemail? But you know what? A couple times I got called into his office and what I noticed was a picture of his wife and children beautifully framed, and it wasn't one of those staged photos. I mean, I know that we all can be kind of coerced into a beautiful staged photo. You know, you go to a, the photo place, and they give you the props, and they, they do your hair, and, and they wait infinitely long until everyone's smile is just right. And, and I mean, they're beautiful photos, but you can kind of spot the level of sincerity in them, too. This was he and his wife and their two children out on a sailing boat. And there was glee and love so apparent in their faces. And so sometimes when I would go into his office, I would just look at that picture. Because I knew there was love there somewhere. I knew that he might not be showing it in the moment, but that there was love there. And eventually, after I got to know him a little better, I would say, how's your daughter doing? She's off to college this year, isn't she? And oh my gosh, the tension in that room. It's like, it, it's like someone opened the valve and it would just drain away. And suddenly, not only could we talk about ourselves in, in halfway friendly and nice ways, but, but then we could even talk about business that way too. There's something about life that responds to love. Rather than meeting anger with anger, rather than meeting sadness with sadness, rather than meeting some kind of upset or negativity with your version of it, your one-upmanship in it, when it meets love, something magical happens. And when we can look through that eye of love, through that vision of love, when the lenses of our, of our looking at life are filled with compassion for anger, are, are filled with understanding for sadness. You know, when I first became a minister, of course, one of the, I don't know, within the first year, you've done at least one memorial and one wedding. And do you know what I mean? In the course of the year, you have a variety of things. And I remember after my first year, someone said, oh, it must be really hard to sit with people uh, in the hospital or maybe as a loved one is passing. And I thought to myself, gosh, that's really the easy one. Because there's nothing you can say. There's nothing really that's expected to be said. There's nothing that you can generally do. Right? All you have to be is love. I think that's the answer to the problem altogether. Is that all we have to be is love. You know, usually I start with a joke and end with a prayer. I'm kind of backwards today. I'm going to end my talk with my joke. So Richard had lived a long, happy life, but it was drawing to its end. As his family surrounded him on his deathbed, he asked to see the optometrist. 
The optometrist, they asked. Why in the world would you want to see the optometrist? Please, can you just get him for me? So they go get Dr. Kaplan, sees Richard about to depart this life, and he said, Richard, it, it really pains me to see you like this, and what can I, your optometrist, possibly do? Well, Richard opened his eyes silently and said, Doc, before I go, there's one thing I just have to know. It's been bothering me really since the last time we met, and it's something I'm uneasy to go to my grave with. I just have to know. Which one was clearer? Was it A or was it B? Was it A or was it B? And I guess I want to close by asking you the same question. If you're writing the story of your life, what is it going to be? You get to choose. No one else. It is your story. Is it going to be A or is it going to be B? Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. Today I claim it as love. And what I know about love is it is the essence of each person on, in this room, each person on this planet, each of us born in and as love. And for this day, I know about myself that that is the story of my life, that as I write today's page, as I write uh, the chapter that comes next, it will be a true love story. And that the people and places and interactions and choices that I make, I will have love in mind always. And as it is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room. Each person here has the capability of seeing through the eyes of love. Each person here has that ability to check out the people that are important to them and understand how to say I love you, what it means, and how to interact with the people that we care about in such a way that they ultimately know how very loved they are. And you know what? I'm just grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and presence of God as it shows up as each person in this room, grateful for God's love as it is reflected in humanity. And so I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself, that law that responds to love with love. I just let it be, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, 
You are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.